Certainly glad to be here this morning. It's always an honor and a privilege to get to come and worship with all of you and get to see my church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm very excited that you're here. I want to say I could have just as easily sat down after the prayer that Mitch gave. I thought it was very good. I appreciate him caring about me in that prayer. Certainly I need those prayers every day. And I want to talk about a subject that very much applies to me. It's a reminder, it's a warning to us all. It's something I've thought about a lot. I hope that it will bear that out in Scripture and in the presentation and it won't be a mess. But there's some things that, that concern me that I see in the world today, things that concern me that I see in the church today, and even more important than that, what I see in my own life today, things that I don't like for it to be there, and things that I have to work on. So if you feel like your toes get stepped on any, just know that I don't have any left, and that was the, that was the motivation for this lesson. But it is a dire warning. <clears throat> so I want to just jump right in, and let's start in Romans 6 and verse 23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this morning I've entitled my lesson, For the wages of sin is death. You know, wages are very important to us. They're something that we realize and we understand from a very young age. You know, as we get allowance and as our kids, our, our parents try to teach us how to take care of money. And we get a little money, and as children, we're real excited about it. You know, maybe grandma or grandpa or somebody at church gives them a quarter. Man, they hold on to it tight, don't they? I got a quarter. It's a big deal. It's exciting. It's something new. It's something that we learn. It's something that's part of our life. We do not get by without income, do we? Wages. And so it's something we're very familiar with, and Jesus knew that, and so He used it in Scripture to teach us some things. And in Romans 6 and 23, He said, The wages of sin is death. And I want us to consider that this morning. You know, we place a great amount of our self-worth on what others are willing to compensate for our time and our skills. And if you don't think that's true... Rock along sometime and go through a layoff. And many of you have never experienced that, but I will tell you there are people in the church all across the brotherhood that have. And I was without a job for a time. And if you don't think it's important to have wages, or you don't think they make you part of what you are, and you hope they're not very much of that, you find out that you feel helpless. You feel scared. You worry about those things. And you know, I worried about that with my kids. I guarantee you, if I could have chose their occupation, every one of them would have been an engineer. I thought that had to be the greatest job out there. You know, I took Michaela one time, and I went to WT, and I went to the engineering department, and we sat down with the chair of the engineering department. I think she was about 5'4", blonde hair, 85 pounds, a little bitty thing. And she said, Michaela, all you have to do is graduate, and you will start at $90,000 a year, and I can have you two jobs ready the day you graduate. And Dad's going, yeah! 
And Michaela's going, I don't know. So we tried that, but it didn't fit her, you see. But what I was worried about is I didn't want her to go through something I had been through. The lost wages. The worrying about paying those bills and things like that. And so it was important to me to have higher expectations. Not only in that, but in spiritual things, everything. All of us want our children to be better than us. But you know, Jesus warned that the wages of sin is death. Sometimes we get so caught up in ourselves uh, in wages that we base our whole life on the accomplishments or the lack of. We allow these things to cause us to veer off the path we have agreed to follow with Jesus. Maybe we chase a check to the other side of the world. You know, as you look at the industry I'm in, it's worldwide. And best I can tell just by looking at job announcements that are out there that I could apply for, there's easily a lot more money out there. A lot more money. You know what you give up for it? Freedom. Ever being home. Ever having a moment to yourself in life. I had somebody call me the other day, wanted to give me a job. said, yeah, it'll be great. How often do I get to go home? Well, you know, we try to get you home once a month. Ooh, that sounded good. Sure, that would have made my wife's day if I would have told her about that. And I hadn't even told her, so that was news to her just like it was to y'all. I didn't tell her because I didn't have, I have no desire to be gone that much like that. But we give up things. We see people move all across the land. They move to the other side of the country, away from family, away from their support structure, away from everything that they know in hopes of a better dream based on wages. You think wages are important in our society? They are. They are. Jesus used them to talk about sin. And he said the wages of sin is death. There are many warnings in Scripture cautioning against this way of thinking about what good things sin can bring. What are those wages? I want to tell you today that we never sin for free. Have you thought about that? We never do. We never sin for free. Sin is very expensive. Do you know that? Have you thought about that? Get you a drug addiction and see what it costs. I, I have a friend that I was very close to. He got hooked on drugs. And it all started with an accident, with pain, painkillers. And when it ended, he was take, taking oxycodone, 53 of them a day, at 10 bucks a piece. That's where it ended. Think that's expensive? He just built a brand new house, lost the house, had family and kids. That went out the door for a time. It takes its toll. It is so expensive. And we throw our righteousness away for the smallest amount of sin, the simplest of things, saying it won't hurt at all. It's no big deal. Might even make some things better. Need to chill out a little bit. I can handle it. You ever heard any of those things? We hear them all the time, don't we? 
Sin is very expensive. It will take you further than you... And this is not mine. I think D may have been the one I heard say this first. It will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. That's sin. And the end result of it, of those wages, is death. Sin will take the things that you truly love completely out of your life. Sin will steal your love. It will steal your joy. It will steal your hope. It will steal your spouse. Oh, but it will kindly leave you pain and the bills. Sin will steal your children. It will turn them in so many directions that you won't even recognize them. It will cause them to flee when they see you coming. Sin will steal... It will kill and destroy you and everybody around you if you turn it loose in your life. Let this serve as a dire warning to us all this morning. The wages of sin are truly death. It's always the end of the road. Death. Every sin. You know, we think about being on a hiking trail and being up in the mountains. And sometimes you see a sign that will say something to the effect, failure to stay on the path will result in serious injury or death. I think about an article I read and there was an older lady, she was in her 70s. She was in good shape, she worked out a lot, she loved to hike. And her husband got arthritis in his feet and he couldn't do it. And she wanted to go on this long hike on the east coast. And she started to venture out. He didn't want her to do it, but she wanted to do it. They finally agreed, and he would meet her every so many days with supplies and check on her. And she had a cell phone. She takes off, and she does great the first day. She makes it ahead of time, ahead of schedule, to the first checkpoint where she's going to sleep. She takes off the second day, and she finds a friend that she hikes with, and they visit and they talk. Later on, this lady was interviewed and said, you know, I thought she was a little off. There were some things she said. I should have known. I should have helped her. You know, the third day, she took off and no one ever saw her again. She veered off the path. She had ignored the sign. You see, she had to go to the restroom. She's in the wilderness. Not like there's a bathroom there. So she says, well, I'm just going to... Step off over here behind a tree. Well, she kept going to find the right tree. You know, you got to have the right tree when you're out in the wilderness like that. There's, there's a little bit of, I don't know. She was looking for that tree. And she took care of things and she got ready to get back on the path. She wanted the path. She thought she knew right where the path was. She couldn't find it. It began to get dark. It began to rain. She didn't have a signal on her phone. So she set up camp. She got in her tent. She tried to stay warm. She got out the next morning and she was walking and she was trying to get a signal on her phone so she could call for a rescue because she didn't know which way to go. She couldn't find the path. And you know, she found a signal for just a second. She called her husband and she said, I'm lost. And her phone went dead. No charger. She's out in the wilderness by herself, 70-something years old. It's pouring rain. 
You know, this, her husband called the search parties and they went out. There were some 1,100 people combed the woods looking for this lady. And as day by day went by, there was less and less hope that she could be alive. Less and less hope that they could ever find her. You know, I thought it was amazing that two and a half years later, a rescue guy that was practicing found her. He found her. He found her corpse in a sleeping bag. He found her journal where she had journaled and she had lived some three or four months longer than anybody thought was possible. She truly had skills, but she couldn't find the path. She died. One misstep and she died. And all that her family had left was a journal. Where she told them how much she loved them. How much she cared. And she was sorry that she had been so bullheaded that she went her own way. That's what her husband had to hang on to. That was it. She was gone. She was 50 yards from the path. 50 yards between life and death. 50 yards. She never heard a whistle. She had injured herself while she was trying to find the cell phone. She broke an ankle. She couldn't walk. So she curled up in her sleeping bag, saved her provisions, lived the best way she knew how, and she died. Now that's probably more information than you wanted to hear, but I think... As we reflect on the huge cost of sin, this story can warn our souls against wandering from the safe path of faithfulness. Have you ever thought about how safe you are because you're a part of this congregation? Because you're a part of God's family? How much help you have and how many blessings you have and how much support structure is in place in your time of need? Have you ever thought about that when you're not in trouble? When you don't need it, do you still thank God for the blessing of having that? I want to tell you, I've got some friends here in town. They don't have that. They've had a loss in their life. And they are like a ship without a sail. They're just out there drifting. And they don't know how to put it back together. That's a terrible place to be. It's a terrible place to see someone else be. So we need to be very careful. And we need to realize that sin is never free, it is very expensive, and the end result is death. Have you ever considered that by your sin, or by our sin, we greatly offend God? Have you ever thought about it as an offense, or do you just think about it as a law break? I want to give you an example. If I'm going down the highway and I get a ticket, do I offend the cop? Does he get offended if I, unless I behave improperly? Does he get offended that I was speeding? Or does he say, you broke the law, here's your ticket, and send you on your way? You know, he doesn't get offended, does he? He knows you broke the law, you know you broke the law, we got the ticket fixed, we're done, right? It's a little different with God. He's vested in you. He created you. He gave you the breath of life. 
And He has expectations for you just like you have for your children. He wants the best in your life. And He's told you the wages of sin are death. And now you go out and you go, eh, I'm going to do what I want to do. Maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe I just told a little lie because I didn't want to hurt somebody's feelings and it was just a lie. Lies are no big deal, right? Lies have caused wars, people. Lies have caused, pe- caused people to be killed and murdered. Lies have caused all kinds of terrible things. But you know what? Most importantly of all that a lie causes, it causes God to be offended when you do it. And God is offended when I do it. And it doesn't matter which sin you pick. doesn't matter how secretive it is. When you commit it, God knows it. And He's offended by it. He's given you all the love. He's given you all the blessings. He's given you everything life can give in a positive way. And sometimes we just throw it away. In John 14, in verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me... He will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the words which which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. You know, that's pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty simple teaching. Jesus said, you don't love me if you don't keep my commandments. Don't you want Jesus to love you? Don't you want God to love you? You say, yeah, but it's not that big a deal. No, it's that big a deal. Jesus plainly taught, when you disobey the commandments, He said, you're not just disobeying the words that I've spoken. He said, they came from God Himself, the Almighty, the Father. He says, when you break those, That's not how you show me you love me. Now, I want to give you an example of that because I really thought this was, well, it kind of hit me. You know, when I go to town, there's a certain store that I don't stop, I I just don't shop at. And they're all over America. They're in every little town. I try my best not to go in one. I absolutely hate it. It makes me mad every time I'm in there. And it's not the store. It's just that they don't enforce any rules. And so you go in there and you see some kid this big and, Mama's over here screaming, You better quit doing that. Quit throwing that stuff off of them shelves. You better stop or you're going to be in trouble. And the baby's over there going, No! Do you like that? Do you enjoy going somewhere like that? I hate it. I despise it. It makes me so angry. I want to whip that child and I want to whip that mother for letting that child act that way. And I don't want to step all over their mess that they just threw in the floor. It makes me mad. You know how you know how you says angry, be angry and sin not. I don't go there, and that way I know I'm angry when I think about that. But I don't go there, so I don't have to be angry, right? But I want you to consider the relationship between that little kid and this mother over here screaming, screaming. She ain't gonna do nothing about it, but she's gonna scream, and that little kid's learning just to scream back at you know six months old. I don't know. I lose track of time. I don't have any kids that young anymore. I think maybe walking, they, let's go too. Just be safe. All right? But what are they learning? Do you see any love in that relationship? 
Do you feel like a mother loves her kid when she's just screaming her head off and telling them how ignorant they are and they're going to have to go sit in the car and on and on it goes and the kid is just... I mean, that's worse than teenagers to me because the mama ought to do something about it. And it's going to be worse when they get older, isn't it? Do you see any love from the child to the mother? The child is in control. The child is running the show. Out of love? No. Selfishness. I'm a little child. I can do whatever I want to, just like Satan says I can. I can do whatever I want. You know, sometimes adults act that way too, don't they? I don't talk to the hand, God. I got things I want to do over here that I know you don't like, but I can handle it, and I'm going to come back over here when I'm ready. Sometimes people think they need to go to college, and they they just need to go crazy. Lose it. Just totally lose it. Burn up every sin that's out there. See how they work. You know, the Bible tells us Solomon tried that. He tried everything under the sun. He said it's all vanity and vexation of spirit, didn't he? And God and Jesus and every apostle and every prophet in Scripture taught, don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Because the wages of sin is death. In 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13, it says, And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they count it pleasure to ride in the day. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of, of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin. You think sinners just... Wake up one day and go, I can't cease from sin. I'm going to just do it. And I'm going to do it till I lose 150 pounds. And I'm going to do it till all my teeth fall out. And I'm going to do it until I'm in the hospital. And I'm going to do it till I'm in prison. And when I get out, I'm going to go do it again. Do you think people in sin think that way? They don't, do they? But what happens? That very thing. They get tied up in sin that they never intended to. And a few get out. A few turn their life around. And some of them just crash and burn and wreck everything. They burn everything around them down. He talks about they can't even cease from sin. He says, Beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. They exercised their heart with covetousness, covetous practices. If we're not careful, we get caught up sometimes in that, don't we? Well, so-and-so got a new pickup. I need one. Such-and-such got a new tractor. I need one a little bigger than his. You know, I see that. I deal with some pretty big landowners sometimes. I worked with a guy that ordered 10 John Deere tractors, brand new from from the factory, had one through 10 on them. They laser engraved a big picture for him to hang in his corporate office. Ten, all at one time. I don't know what that cost, but it's a bunch. Wasn't in that a bunch, Andrew? I, it's a bunch. And then right at, this was in September, and in, in January, he was ordering four brand new combines. Had a tax problem he needed to take care of. That's a tax problem, man. But you see, it also had to do with his neighbors. He told me, he said, Paul, I own 36,000 acres, and I don't want to quit buying land till I own 40. 40,000 was the magic number. This guy was 70 years old. 
And he bought 1,600 acres the year he told me that. I said, why, 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 the, why the number? He said, I don't know. It's just a number I set years ago, and I want to hit it. Well, you know, I went and talked to his hired hands. You know what they told me? They said, Paul, we don't care if he gets a turban or not. Talk him into hiring another hired hand. That's what they wanted. Covetous. Covetous practices. And I'm not saying this man was covetous. I, I don't know. But it was amazing to me. But that's what these people that we read about in Scripture, they had covetous practices. Exercised their heart in it. In verse 15, "...which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness." Isn't that something? Loved it. Loved the wages of unrighteousness. But was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, now listen to this, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Wantonness is unbridled lust. When you just turn yourself loose and you want it all. Whatever it is, don't hold back on anything. It says they allure through these things. Those that were clean escape from them who live in error. They're trying to get a hold of people that have already separated themselves from all that. They're trying to allure them back in. It's a goal of theirs. You ever met anybody like that? That wants a church person to fail? I've met some people like that. And they just hope that you fail so they can go, Yeah, God didn't like that, did He? They may have done it 12 times that day, but they want to make sure you know, what well, you know, God didn't like that, did He? Man, if you just come over here and do more of this, you'd have so much fun. You could get involved in this, you could do that. He says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. God is offended when we sin. I want you to remember that this morning. It's not a simple, oh, I'll just, yeah, sorry God, and move on. God's offended. And He wants more than that from you. He wants more than that from me. It hurts Him. He's invested. It's not a simple thing. It's a very technical thing. I want to ask you this morning, are you offending God this morning? In your way of life, are you offending Him? Did you offend Him before you got here to the service? Are you planning on offending Him later today? And I know none of you knew it was Super Bowl Sunday, but I had to throw that in there, right? There's a lot of things go on when that's going on, isn't it? Some of them good. Some of them kind of grayish. Some of them just downright bad. Are you living in sin this morning? If you are, God is offended. Are you just holding on to your favorite sin? The one you hide from everybody? 
The one you think isn't hurting anybody else, God's offended. I want to tell you, if you're reaching out to pornography to fulfill things that you need in your life, God's offended. And it is hurting other people. It hurts you. It hurts everybody around you. It's degrading. It's bad. It's somebody's daughter. Did you think about that? Somebody's daughter and son is on that screen. Sure better not be mine, huh? I don't want it to be yours or mine or anybody else's. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have things like that? It would be nice. But unfortunately, they are there and they are hurting people and they are offending God when we get involved in any of those things. Because of our sin, we deserve the sentence of death. We talk about this a lot, don't we? Romans 3, 9 and 10, it says, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they were all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. He goes on, this is Paul, and he's teaching them, Jews and Gentiles alike, there's not a righteous one, not one. He goes on later in the chapter in verse 23, and he says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We deserve a sentence of death. And that's what the wages of sin do to us. And at some point in your life, when you're young, very young, and you're rocking along, and you learn good and bad, and, and good and evil, and you fall. You fall. You disobey God. And you earn your first wage of sin. You know, sometimes that's real hard for kids. Sometimes not hard at all. Depends on the kid, right? Sometimes it's the same for adults. Some of them have a hard time with it, a harder time with it. And some people don't. But we all have sin problems. Even the secret ones, God knows. And He knows that the sentences of death without Jesus. In Proverbs 11 and verse 19, it says, As righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. Quite a contrast, isn't it? Righteousness tends to life. Good things. Raising a great family. Having a great life. Having a church family. Reaching out. Doing things that God wants you to do in your life. Those are the great things. But he says that he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. Proverbs 11 and 4 says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath but righteousness delivereth from death. You know, sin destroys lives. We see it all the time. We know people that it's destroyed their lives. Sometimes it's destroyed our own. And I can tell you at some point it has destroyed at least a period of time in your life. Yourself. We deserve to die. That's what the wages of sin are. Death. You know, all die spiritually. And you know, some even die physically. 
We think about drunk driving, drug overdose, AIDS and other STDs, murder, and on and on it goes. So I ask you, are you headed for death this morning as you consider your own life? Riches won't save you. The amount of money in your bank account will not cure sin. And it will not stop the effects that it has on your life. The job you have won't save you. The amount of hours and effort that you pour into it to be successful will not save you. Your house with its alarm system will not save you. The police department down the street will not save you. Jesus and His love for you is the only thing that can save you. It's your only option. It's the only card that you're dealt that is possible in this world to save you. Do you know by our sin we grieve the Holy Spirit? And Let's turn over to Ephesians 4. In verse 30 to 32, Paul said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Did you notice that these these grievances of the Holy Spirit are not heinous crimes? They are not sins. Uh, I'm sorry, they are sins that are tied to emotion and the heart. Have you ever noticed that? When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're told not to grieve Him. You know, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, right? We're told that, that He's the Comforter that would come, and He would take care of us, and He's a part of us. He utters things to God that we have no way of understanding on our behalf. To make our prayers more complete. He works hard day and night. And you know what happens when we put sin in our life? We start filling up His house with bad things. He's living in us. And here's all this junk that He's trying to save us from. He's trying to help us get to Jesus, get to God, get to heaven. We're dumping. It's just like somebody bringing their old trash can in your front door and just throwing their trash all over your, all over your living room. Would you like that? Wouldn't be no good, would it? Might start a fight, maybe even a fist fight or a wife with a broom or a, or a frying pan. It'd be ugly, wouldn't it? What about when we do that to the Holy Spirit? He says, put these things away from you. These things are built on emotion. They're built on the heart. They're things that can be controlled. They're things that you can learn to discipline in your life and not turn the reins over to Satan or something else. He says, be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. In Psalms 54, verse 6 And seven, he says, I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. 
Is this how you feel towards God? Is this how you feel towards the Holy Spirit? Do you desire to serve God? Do you have a strong desire for that? Is it something that you do every day, not just Sunday, but every day? Something you want in your life, you starve to have it. Do you run to God and to the church when you have problems, or do you run away? That's a mature faith versus immature, isn't it? Where do we run? It tells a lot about where we're at in our spiritual life, how we feel when times get bad. Do we run to God and to His people, or do we hide and run from In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 24, it says, Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. What about you this morning? You you know, we know people that have sin that's been open, sins that the whole church is aware of, that they've had to have help dealing with, and they needed it, and we wanted to do it. But they had it, didn't they? And it was very open and it went beforehand. What about all them sins that follow after? They're back here. What about those? You got any of those this morning that you need to deal with? That you need to tend to? That you need to make up with God over? I encourage you, get right with God. The wages of sin is death. You know, sometimes we, we just suspend the exercise of our faith. Do you know your faith needs exercise? You ever thought about that? Some people say, oh, i got a strong faith. When's the last time you cracked a Bible? Well, I've got it in here. I know what I'm doing. Okay, when's the last time you went and visited somebody from the church that needed help? When's the last time you donated to a good cause that the church was working on for, for missionary work for the church? You may be doing that all the time. I'm not judging anybody in here. This is pointed at Paul Henderson right here. Sometimes, because of sin, we suspend the exercise of our faith. In Mark 4, in verse 36 through 41, it says, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat on the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, these people were paralyzed by fear. They didn't exercise their faith. They screamed out completely terrified, scared out of their mind that they were fixing to die. You ever been there? I've rode with a few people that made me think about that sometimes. And sometimes they think about that with me. Just ask my wife. We go to Dallas and she can suck all the oxygen out of that cab in 2.2 seconds when there's a car coming. She says, look out for that car! And I say, dear, I'm watching six. There's six. They're all around us. We're okay. We'll be all right. And it's like a video game, but the bad part is you don't get to play again if you mess up, right? 
man, I hate that stuff. I get out of there, my, my shoulders are killing me. I'm exhausted. I feel like I've been in a football game, full rugby, straight on. I mean, I'm just exhausted. You know, sometimes we don't exercise our faith out of fear or out of guilt or out of all these things that are out there that can derail us. What about Peter walking on the water? Hey, Lord, I'm coming to you, man. I'm going to get on this water. I want to walk on water. Anybody want to do that? I think it'd be pretty cool. Peter did too, and he jumped out there, and he's just a-walking. Boy, the water feels good. Winds are blowing, and he's got his eye on Jesus. He's right there. And then what happened? He felt the wind, didn't he? He heard it blowing. He heard the waves crashing, and he veered off. He veered his sight off of Jesus. And what happened? He suspended the exercise of his faith. Now he didn't have any faith. His feet are getting wet. He's going down. He says, Lord, help me. Can't do it on my faith. i got to have you. And he reached out to him, but he wasn't close enough yet, was he, to just grab him by the hand. And Jesus went to him, took care of him. Spiritually, we have to be careful that we don't allow sin to suspend the exercise of our faith. We have to be involved. We have to want to do the things that God has asked us to do. Don't allow sin to paralyze you and render you helpless to, exor- <clears throat> excuse me, to exercise your faith. Jesus is the calm in the midst of your storm. Doesn't matter what storm it is, how big it is, how little it is, Jesus is the calm in your storm if you let it be. It's just a fact. He promised it. But you got to want it. you got to give up sin. you got to get away from the wages that cause death. Do you know our sin, we, when our sin causes us to be severely wounded in our conscience. Have you thought about that? Your conscience can be wounded. It can be basically rendered useless if you allow it to be. In Luke 22 and verse 60, it says, And the men that held Jesus mocked Him and smote Him. Sound like they had any conscience? Anybody want to just take somebody and just beat them to a pulp? Watch them bleed? You know, I had a friend one time, he said he was watching a fight and he was freaking out and they were really going at it. One of them goes, he goes down, he, he's, he's helpless. The guy grabs him by the back of the hair, drags him over to the curb, sticks his, feet, his teeth on the curb, kicks him in the back of the head, knocks all his teeth out after he's helpless. Is there any conscience in that? That kind of behavior? Don't read the internet because there's stories like that every day. Conscience is being seared with a hot iron and they don't work anymore. These people mocked Jesus as they beat Him. They didn't have a conscience. And if we wound our conscience enough times, then at some point, it quits working at all. In Matthew 26, starting in verse 73, it says, and this is speaking of Peter, it says, And he began to curse and swear, saying, I know not the man. You know, that's the same thing we do every time we sin. I know not the man. I'm out here with these guys, and I need to be different over here. I need to be two-faced. I need to go to church on Sunday and Wednesday, and I need to live a right life. But when I'm over here, 
I need these people to like me. Or I've got to do this for work. Or I need to do this for entertainment. Or I can handle it. And on and on and on and on. And the excuses go. And that's what they are. They're excuses. And when you and I sin, we are telling Jesus, I know you not. You know, Peter went out and wept bitterly after he did this, and Jesus looked at him, gave him that humble look like, I can't believe you did it, but I I told you you would do it. He went out and he wept bitterly. What about you and I today? Do we have godly sorrow? When we do mess up and have sin in our life, do we really have godly sorrow? And we want to repent, we want to get that right, we want to fix it. It's important. This is an important question for you to ask yourself. How do I feel when I sin? Do I even recognize it? He says, do we have uh, godly sorrow or are our consciences so wounded and scarred that there is no warning in our heart when we are about to veer off and crash upon the rocks? When sin is coming to reign in our body, do we feel God making a way of escape for us? Jesus promised that that way of escape would be there. And when you're about to mess up and you recognize it's a mess up, do you feel God giving you that alternative choice that would make it where you could escape? I hope you do. I hope you do. Because Jesus said it's there if you'll look for it. You need it. I need it. We need our way of escape. We need to always remember Jesus is our way of escape. He is our answer when sin is crowding in. When sin is coming to reign in our body, do we feel God making that way for escape? Or do we simply dive headlong into the waves of sorrow and death? I challenge you this morning to consider that in your life. Are you one of those that has to learn the hard way and you dive off in it and you get in all kinds of mess and then you have to find your way out? Ask God to help you. Ask someone else. Whatever. You know, it's a lot easier in life if we can see it coming and we can kind of veer off away from those things and minimize their impact on our life. In 1 John 2 and 11 it says, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth. Because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I didn't read that properly. Sorry. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth. Because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I want to tell you this morning, hate and bitterness blind us. They severely damage our conscience and they prevent us from reconciling with others. Don't let this into your life. At some point, someone in this building will make you angry. At some point, someone in this building will frustrate you. They will let you down. You know why? Because they're people and you're going to do the same to them. Don't let hatred and bitterness get into your marriage. Don't let it settle in your heart. Don't say, I'm stubborn. Don't say, I can't take it. I just hate them. 
You know, I've heard people say that about a spouse before. It's terrible to let your heart get in such a state that that would be part of who you are. You can hide it from everybody, but you won't hide it from God. You won't hide it from Jesus, and they'll know your heart. And they'll say, stop. They'll invite you to have the love and the peace that passes all understanding. But you've got to take it. You've got to accept it. You've got to apply it. And I'm just going to tell you, if you let hatefulness and bitterness settle in, it is hard to get rid of. Some people never accomplish it. They just hate, 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 bitter, bitter, bitter the rest of their life because they don't know how to get rid of it. Don't let it come in. Don't let it be a part of your problem. Flee from it. The cost will be very high if you allow this to happen. And in the long run, it will not be a price that you want to pay. What about the Apostle Paul? Let's look at that for a second. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, we're talking about a wounded conscience. He says, For I am least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. You know, Paul had a wounded conscience. His wounded conscience never let him forget what he had done to the church. Did he let it hold him back in what he accomplished for God? No. But he never forgot it. He always had it in the back of his mind. What a terrible, terrible person I was. He goes on in verse 10 and he says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He said, I'm trying to make it up. I'm working hard. I'm going at it. I'm serving God with everything I got. But he said, I am what I am. There's just some of that he couldn't make up, wasn't there? There were people in those churches that hated him. There were per- people in those churches that talked bad about him and wouldn't let his past go away. Sound familiar? You ever seen somebody in the church just can't, we can't quit talking about what happened? Move on. Move forward. Receive God's blessing. Don't allow a wounded conscience to derail you. Sometimes our sin causes us to lose the awareness of grace and mercy for a period of time in our life. Have you ever thought about that? How much grace and mercy do you feel when you're living in sin? When you've been messing up bad, do you just feel like you're going to get grace from God anyway? You know, a lot of times we don't. We don't feel like there will be any. And there may not be, depending on what we're doing. Deliberate sin is a conscious rejection of grace. We don't want God's grace. We're just going to sin. And if we're deliberately sinning on purpose, we can't have it. You know, we shouldn't be surprised when sin leaves us lost in fear and doubt, feeling like we have been cast away by a holy God. 
How can we have a relationship with God if we allow sin to mess up our lives? What about Jonah? You know, Jonah literally ran from God physically, like he could get away. Sometimes I kind of chuckle about that. I can't comprehend it. But he thought he could just run away, right? He wanted to get away from God because he didn't want to do what God told him to do. He flat out refused to obey God's command. Just refused to the point of having to run, jump on a ship. He's fleeing. He knows things are bad. He knows God's coming after him. Just didn't think it was going to work, did he? Ran for it. When God chastened him for his terrible sin, Jonah said, I have been cast out of your sight in Jonah 3 and 4. What's God's fault? I'm the victim now. You've just cast me out of your sight. I'm no good. I messed up. Now he's a victim, right? Did that make it okay? You know, Jonah, he had tried to flee from the presence of the Lord in Jonah 1 and verse 3. He was so dead set on disobeying God that he wanted God to let him go. You know, I don't know that I've ever been that bad off. But I just wanted wanted to tell God, just let me go, God. Just let me go. Leave me alone. I don't want it. But you know, I've talked to people that have been there. I had one guy told me, he said, Paul, I don't mess around in religious things. I don't, I don't mess with God, so he won't mess with me. I just hide over here in my little part of the world. He's over there taking care of all y'all. Everything will be all right. Really? Kind of interesting, isn't it? I've run into a lot of people that think if they hide out and they don't mess with religion, God just won't notice that they're there. Don't understand it, but I've heard it. After the adrenaline wore off of Jonah, then he panicked. God no longer cares about me. Bad place to be, isn't it? Thinking God don't care. You know, this wasn't true. But you know, it felt true because of his sin. His sin made him literally feel that God didn't care. God wasn't going to help him. We know this is different if you read the whole story. God did all kinds of things to let Jonah know and try to make him see that he needed Jonah to do these things and there was a reason and there was a purpose and it was for the good of a a lot more people. Jonah forgot that his Father in heaven would extend him mercy in exchange for for his obedience. You know, there was a path home to safety once again there was a path and we don't know the rest of the story on Jonah it kind of ends it doesn't really tell us how it all turned out but you know God was patiently talking to him telling him what needed to happen giving him a bigger picture of what was going on in Proverbs 11 and 29 it says he that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind and the fool shall be servant to the wise of heart. When you bring trouble into your house, when you bring sin to your home, whether it be whatever, what you name it, any sin, and you let it dwell in your house, it says he shall inherit the wind. You can take that literally. A lot of people that 
end up with a lot of money and then they get into a lot of sin and then they end up homeless. Sure do. But there's also a lot of people that get involved in sin and spiritually they end up homeless. They don't have a relationship with God. In Jude 21 and verse 25 it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus unto eternal life. He says, And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Jude 21 to 25. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for His mercy, the mercy of Jesus unto eternal life. We need to have compassion on each other. We need to make a difference in each other's life. And we need, more importantly, we need to point people to Jesus. We need to teach them how to let Jesus make a difference in their life. So I want to end with just, I just want to read a few verses. I'm not really going to comment on them, but I want you to think about them. Proverbs 10 and verse 16 says, The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin. Proverbs 15 and verse 6, it says, In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. Proverbs 11 and verse 18 says, The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. That's your promise this morning. If you will stay in a state of righteousness... If you will live for God, allow Jesus to be number one in your life in all things. He promises a reward. So I want to ask you this morning, I've asked you to think about a lot of things this morning. And i got one more. Do you want reward in your life? Do you want reward? Do you want to be loved? Do you want to be cared for? Do you want to have others around you that will support and help you and do whatever they can to make life easier for you to serve God? Jesus promises that, that to those that are truly His. He is offering it to you today. He wants you. He wants you to be part of His family. He wants you to be forgiven of sin. He wants you to understand how important it is. And He wants you to understand that the wages of sin is death. Don't live in a state of death this morning. Allow your life to be changed by Jesus Christ. If there's something the church can do to help you in that, we want to. We're here. The job of the church is to all of us to help one another so that we can enter heaven one day through the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ and by His blood. So if you have a need that the church can help you with, we ask you to come as we stand and sing.